Hey guys, welcome back to the Real Estate Monopoly. This is Kerwin and this is Jeffrey. We are the Donis Brothers and today we have a very special guest. He's known as the mad scientist of multifamily. Neil, can you say hey to the audience? Hello everyone. It's great to be here with the Donis Brothers. Awesome. Thanks again for being here, Neil. Uh, Neil Bawa is a technologist who is universally known as the mad scientist of multifamily. Uh, Besides being one of the most in-demand speakers in this space. He also has a portfolio of over 1 billion assets. And um, he's also worked with over 800 investors. Jeff and I have always been big fans of Neil, and we have consumed a lot of his content on YouTube. And he's very omnipresent, which is something we strive to be. So it's very awesome to have him on the show today. Neil, thanks a lot for being here. Starting out, let's jump into it. You always like to talk about how important data is when you approach investing and just honestly, your life. Um, It's always been numbers is, is your thing. I would love it if you can kind of provide some context as to when did your passion for data science start? And I know it kind of connects to your background. So if you want to jump into that, that'd be awesome. I'll start with a quote, you know, and I, this is actually one that I invented my, the only quote that I've invented in my life. And the quote is the Bible got it wrong by one letter. Folks, it's not the meek that shall inherit the earth. It's the geek. It's the geeks, the nerds, the dorks that are inheriting the earth. Richest man in the world, geek. Second richest, geek. Third richest, geek. Fourth richest, geek. Do you see a pattern developing there? Do you see a pattern developing? The geeks are the ones taking over the world. It's not the old style dictator that rules the world today. And I understand the power of numbers and the awesome creation of profit that comes from that. And I understand that you have to fully commit to that. You can't be giving lip service to it. You have to be 100% committed. It's an enormous expense of time. It's an enormous inconvenience to be data-driven, but I've chosen to be data-driven. That's why I'm called the mad scientist of multifamily. I throw an enormous amount of data-driven content out there and I share it and I get it wrong and I try to improve it and tweak it and figure out what I got wrong. And it's it's been an absolute passion of mine. And you know, I love to say, that data beats gut feel by a million miles. It doesn't just beat it, it beats it by a million miles. And that's what I have seen in building up this billion dollar portfolio across these 800 investors. That is awesome. And I know you started out in Silicon Valley, I believe it was some educational companies that that's kind of where you got your, um, your first experience with, with really in, in the US. So if you want to kind of cover how you came to the US and then what your entrepreneurial endeavors led you to when you, before you got into real estate. Yeah, it was totally bizarre. I mean, it was it, it's a strange and unexpected story. I was a technologist. I was running this company. The company was doing really well. I live in California, so I was paying 50% tax. And I was just so frustrated because I felt like I was working for the man, not for myself. And, and so I go to my boss and he says, hey, look, you know, if you want tax benefits, you've got to go into real estate. That's nothing like it. He shows me one of his apartment complexes and I'm like, oh, wow, this is something that I really want to do. So, <clears throat> you know, but, but I didn't have enough my money at that point to buy an entire apartment complex. So I went out and bought 10 single family homes. Um, and the story really is about how I found the city where I bought those homes. They've all quadrupled in, in value since, since then. Uh, I was very lucky with timing. So it was 2008. My family was telling me I was the greatest moron on earth for trying to buy real estate in 2008. And I'm like, but I have these 17 pages of calculations that show that this is the greatest time in history to buy it. And they would just look at me like I was a total moron. Like nobody ever looked at those 17 pages. So I was like, let me toss this out. I got to find a better way to basically explain to people that this is absolutely the greatest time to buy real estate ever. And then I'm like, I'm going to prove it to you, to people 
by doing it myself and I, I need to figure out how to do it. And, and so to do it, I need to basically do it algorithmically so I can go back and tell people how I did it, you know, and, and prove it to them, right? I, I can't just basically make it up. So um, I started, I hired a Ukrainian hacker and I started mining various websites, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Zillow, a bunch of other sites. And I started putting large sets of data together into a software called R. It's a statistical software. And we started to do an analysis and our goal was to figure out just one thing. What are the factors that affect real estate profits the most, both rent increases and backend equity increases, right? So appreciation and rents, what affects it the most? Is it job growth? Is it population? Is it schools? Is it home prices? Is it crime? What exactly is the secret sauce that leads to prices going up and rents going up? And we ran so many scenarios against dozens and dozens of metros and we back-tested information because we were like, okay, let's go back, look at the last five years, what's really been helping? And then we started doing forward-looking projections. And then three months later, we'd come back and match to see if our projections work. And <clears throat> what we learned from there is that there was a, a set of metrics that appeared to have the biggest impact. There's lots of metrics, but the ones, the five that had the biggest impact, we put them together into a system that we called Location Magic. And Location Magic was always meant to be given away for free and 12 years later, still free and anyone can access it. And then I used, immediately started to use Location Magic to find cities throughout the US and basically benchmark them against Location Magic, against what it was telling me. And a city that had the highest numbers happened to be in California. I'm in California, the city was in California. It was 144 miles away, so not a short distance. So I would jump in my car, I went there, and I realized that the city was incredible. Unfortunately, half the city was empty because they had built 10,000 homes um, and, they were, and, and basically gotten agricultural workers to buy them. Those workers had since left for Mexico. And so half the city was empty. These beautiful four bedroom homes were all sitting there and I need to find a way to rent them out. So a separate story, if you have the time to discuss it, we'll, we'll do that. But yeah. I figured out how to use big data and a disruptive model in the Philippines to fill those units before buying them. So I had them in contract, so I would fill them. And the moment they were filled, I'd go back and basically pay for them. So I ended up with over a dozen of those properties. Some were duplexes, some were triplexes, some were sevenplexes, um, and then a bunch of them were single family homes. And it became an enormous success because on day one, I was making generating massive profits. And I was able to you know, then convince my family to, to also go back and start investing in this place called Madeira. So that was the starting process. But what it did was that, that initial process of being able to prove what I was doing and not you know, saying, hey, this is all numbers driven, here's the numbers, led to the creation of location magic. And then location magic just exploded and became this phenomenon nationwide. That is awesome. I love to hear that. And I know, so that was, sounds like, I'm not sure, I would love it if you could clarify I know you were put in charge of creating like the the uh, with the campus for the company that you worked for, and that was kind of your first ex uh, real big exposure to real estate. And yes. kinda, so, so for us, we started in single family, and we started single family, then went to multifamily. And you have a really uh, new and I guess uh, unique path. So if you could kind of dive into how you got into that side of things, and maybe I'd love to know what were some misconceptions you had about real estate before that experience, and how did that change once you got that experience in the commercial space? Of course. So um, in 2002, uh, we were we were leasing an office in Fremont, California, and um, the um, we, we were a school. So we were a technology school, healthcare school. And so there were hundreds of people coming in and out. And our landlord hated what that did to their carpets. So they decided not to renew our lease. 
So I went back to our my partner, uh, the CEO, and and he said, look, you know, we're, we're just going to go build our own campus. And I'm like, okay, that's really awesome. You're going to build it. He said, no, you're going to build it. And I'm like, I don't know anything about real estate. And, and luckily he knew a lot and he participated, he guided, he did the strategic work. And so we ended up over 18 months building a gorgeous custom designed 27,000 square foot campus as a collaboration under his guidance. And <clears throat> that really changed things for our business. I mean, I, I had this misconception that all real estate was, was just a place that you stuck your business in. I never realized that it could actually become the amplifier. It could become the, the trigger to grow my business. And I gained this amazing appreciation for real estate. And so unlike almost anyone that's been on your show, my first real estate experience was a $6 million, 27,000 square foot corporate campus and then I bought a single family home. So I went exactly in reverse to what everyone else does. Yeah. And I, I, I want to go back to a point that you touched on. So when you had all that data back in 2008 and you started buying single family properties, mm. obviously that was going against what most people were looking to do or most people were scared. And we always like to say fear is a lack of education. So perhaps that's why they just didn't have access to the knowledge or they didn't understand the knowledge like you did today. Mm. It seems like, a lot of people are saying we're in a recession. Some people say we aren't. It seems like people are changing the definition of what a recession is, but whatever, right? But the point is, I want to know what you think the opportunity today is. And back then, it seemed like it was in the single family asset class. What do you think the next opportunity is and in what asset class? Uh, I So there's there's today is actually a great time for opportunity, right? We're recording right. this at the end of September. As you said, you know, um, single family prices technically have only dropped one month. So they, they dropped in July. We don't have August data yet. Um, and so in July, there was a drop in single family prices. It was pretty small, half a percent. But they, what was amazing was how broad it was. Like 90 metros in the United States had single family price drops. We yeah. expect that, that that prices will continue to drop for single family for at least the next 12 months, possibly 18 months. Uh, and we expect the drop to be 10 to 15%. So firstly, the single family market, if you're patient enough to wait, you should basically just by waiting, get a 10 to 15% uh, drop in single family prices. It's not across the board. It's not every Metro. Some Metros might see, you know, be flat. Others might drop 17, 18%. Uh, so there's more research on the web that's available. It's, it's really easy to come by this research these days because it gets published by lots of uh, parties. I, I especially like Mark Zandi of Moody's. Uh, look at his research and, and the cities that he's pointing out to. So I think single family has an incredible opportunity there if you're looking for a dip, right? Yeah. Multifamily, though, is a significantly greater opportunity because most people simply don't understand what I'm about to say. When recessions start, two years after they start, multifamily rents explode. So I'm going to say that again. When recessions start, two years after that, multifamily rents explode. And I'll explain why this process occurs, and it occurs after every single recession. The first thing that happens when a recession starts, and we are not in a recession yet. I expect there to be one next year, but we're not there yet. We're going into a recession. But already what we've seen is if you Google, uh, you know, uh, single family builder price crash, price decline, single family market, you know, construction market affected. The first market that gets affected is not existing homes. It's always new construction. So the people in the, in the US that build millions, one and a half million single family homes each year, the big builders, Lennar, KB Homes, they're the ones that get affected. Because the moment people start thinking prices could come down, 
they don't stop buying single family homes. They stop buying new homes and they start buying used homes, right? Basically a home that's, that's you know, somebody's lived in before. And so we have seen already, even though we haven't started a recession yet, a 28% decline in new starts for single family. And I expect that number to go up to about 40% by the time we actually get into a recession. So if the United States has a shortage of 3.9 or 4.3 million units, we hear these two numbers very often from different sources. I personally believe it might not even be 3.9, it might be closer to 2 million in shortage, but there's still a shortage, right? 2 million units short. So you're 2 million units short already. And because the recession is starting, you, you reduce your construction activity by 40%, 40, not four, 40% for at least a year. Guess what happens? Well, you end up building 600,000 homes less than you would have built. 1.5 million homes multiplied by 40%, 600,000 in a year. And typically it actually affects two years. So let's, let's call it double that number. There's a 1.2 million home shortage or hole that you just created because of this recession, right? And you've already created a hole twice that in 2008, because obviously that recession was, uh, from a housing perspective, dragged on for four years, right? So 2009, 10, 11, 12 were all housing recession years, even 13 to some extent. So we, you'd already created a massive hole. Now you're going to create a new hole, right? So what happens two years from now when, when the economy starts to recover? So we start going upwards, interest rates are coming down, you know, and, and you know, the, the unemployment rate is, is moving down, you know, employment's going up. So all these good things are happening in 2024. I don't know when in 2024, but it, they're happening in 2024. So now people are like, I want to go buy a house. And there's this ridiculous shortage because you didn't build those 600,000 homes. And that jacks up rents, both for single family rentals and for multifamily rentals, right? But it tends to have a bigger benefit on the multifamily side because the SFR, the single family side, the economy is just recovering and people are really not comfortable renting single family homes because they tend to be 50 to 100% higher in, in rent. So they tend to go into multifamily first because they're like, well, yeah, I want to go to a single family home, but the economy just recovered. I just got you know a job. I'm going to go to a multifamily first and then I'll go from there, right? So people that have been living during the recession in mom's basement, right? And on dad's couch are now stepping out and they tend to go first to a multifamily. So you see these enormous, massive increases, these spikes in multifamily rents. And these are easy to track. You can go back and look at the last six or seven recessions and you'll notice that they happened every time. They even happened after the Great Recession. Arguably, if there was one time that this spike wouldn't happen, it would be during 2008, 2009, because it was so bad. Well, we got a seven-year spike in multifamily rents. In the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s in the US, rents would increase at 2%. In the last nine years, rents have now increased at at least 4%. And there've been years as high as 12.5%. Why? We're not building enough. And every recession makes it worse. That's why multifamily, in my mind, is a superior opportunity. And that's why I'm buying multifamily today. I'm very cautious because I know prices are yeah. still falling and they will continue to fall. So I'm really more targeting you know, buying multifamily in February or March of next year when I do expect that we'll be in a recession. I want that price cut because rents are not dropping. Right. In, in the worst recession, real estate recession in the last 100 years, rents dropped 3% in one year, 2009. Just 3%. Home prices dropped 30 to 70%, depending upon the metro. So just... 
think about how much better an asset class multifamily is. Yeah. Home prices drop 30 to 70%. Multifamily rents drop 3% in one year, 2009, 2010, they'd already started to recover. So the quality of the asset class is what drives me to continue to invest in it. Yeah. And one thing that you've touched on on a webinar that we actually watched together, I want to say it was maybe two months ago. It was right after the Fed started all these crazy rate hikes. And you mentioned seller sentiments will change after the data is available for brokers. I want to see where you are today in regards to that prediction and when you think the seller sentiment will change um, because that's where the opportunities will come for people that are still looking to buy. It sounds like you are looking currently looking to buy, if, as you just mentioned. Have you seen that change already? And if if not, multifamily you... changes faster. Single family right. takes more right. time, and I'll tell you why. Multifamily is based on data. Single family is based on sentiment, mm. right? So so no home buyer that I know of, when he you know stands in front of a home that he wants to buy, <laughs> is standing there with an Excel spreadsheet doing a calculation of what the true value of that home is. Basically, what they're right. saying is. Well, the guy is saying, you know, 480K. And if it's a, if it's a, if it's a seller's market, I'll bid 10,000 10, over. And if it's a buyer market, I'll bid 10,000 under. But that's the extent of the math, right? Nobody actually does the math on what the home is worth. Multifamily, we have no choice but to do that because we can only get loans from lenders. Lenders have their own underwriting teams and they do not give <laughs> a, a cent for what we think. They don't care. They're going to do their own underwriting. They're going to figure out what the property is worth. And they're going to give us a loan that is a percentage of that. So 65 or 70% of what they think the value of the property is. Yep. So it's very hard to overpay or significantly overpay on the multifamily side because you, you get hit on the, on the loan side and it messes up your project. So you basically either go back and retrade or you just walk away from the property. So yep. multifamily adjusted. In January, multifamily prices for... Uh, class C properties were under four cap. Now those class C properties are touching four and a half cap, and I expect them to be at five cap in February. Now, mm -hmm. for those of those of you that don't know this, higher cap rates mean lower prices. So when a property goes from a four cap to a five cap, its value drops 20%, right? So big things are happening there. Multifamily prices are dropping and they're dropping quickly. Uh, they've still taken time to drop because January, I think, was the peak. And so now we're here, we are in September and they're dropping. They haven't dropped to where, where they should be, but sentiment has adjusted enough so that price drops are now very common. Retrades are very common. Yeah. On the single family side, we've only seen a single month of actual drops in prices nationwide in about 100 metros out of 500. But, um, but that market takes a little bit more time because of sentiment, right? It's not data driven, it's emotion driven. So I expect single family prices will drop every single month for the next 12 months. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, I, I wanted to know, you, you kind of expanded on the opportunity that's coming, but I'd love to know, is there any warnings you would have for any investors uh, to kind of make sure that they're able to navigate whatever is coming, uh, whether that's in terms of right now or just timeless guidance that you can offer? Yeah, and if you want think to tailor that towards multifamily. Mm -hmm. Well, honest answer is timeless guidance is not worth anything. The, there's only timeful guidance or timely guidance that matters in today's environment because with all the craziness in the world around us, the relentless money printing, time, timeless advice simply is be careful, right? My timeful advice is be patient. There, uh, there is today in my mind, there is a 0% risk that prices of multifamily and single family will increase in the next six months 
but there is a very high chance that they will decrease. So when you're in an environment where you have a very high chance of price decreases, it makes sense to be patient. That is my only advice for you, be patient. Second, understand that if you are going to be patient, then six months from now, you are going to be cursing me for listening to me. Why? Because today in September, there's plenty of liquidity. I can get loans. I, can, yeah, I have investors who are feeling rich. Unemployment's only at 3.7%. So there's access to equity. There's access to lending. But properties are expensive. In six months, properties will be cheap. Access to equity will be lower because we'll be in a recession. Uh, the mass layoffs would have started. Unemployment would have spiked well above 4%. And so it'll be harder to raise money. It'll yeah. be harder to get loans. But you'll get amazing discounts. So that's the second part. There is no perfect scenario. The perfect scenario is everything is cheap and equity and, and debt is readily available. That scenario can never occur, right? So you can take your, you, you have two choices today. If you buy it today, you've gotten a little bit of a discount from January for multifamilies. So maybe let's call it eight, eight or 9%, right? And you still have access to debt and you still have access to equity. If you buy in March, you'll get a significantly larger discount than today, but you'll struggle both in terms of your equity and in terms of your debt, because we'll be in a recession uh, where we are not in a recession today. My uh, feeling is I still wanna be in March. I, I wanna you know, fight that challenge of equity, convince my investors that this is a great time to buy, show them the price declines um, and do the same thing with, with my lenders. Um, not everybody, everybody is that lucky. A lot of people don't have enough equity, so they want to still go now. And I can't blame you. You've certainly seen a price discount in the last eight months. Absolutely. And so you mentioned the importance of kind of just understanding the market as well. And in the past, you've really talked a lot about that. And I do want to get into the climate risk topic that you talk about. But in general, I know that on the webinar we listened to that you were speaking on, you mentioned how certain markets are going to experience price drops potentially um, in the coming months. How are you navigating in terms of uh, selecting which markets? And uh, I know you, that this might touch back on the key five uh, key metrics you use, but can you maybe just kind of explain how someone can use market selection to mitigate the risk when it comes to investing, particularly in multifamily? Well, so... From the perspective of this podcast, it'll take too long to explain that. So here's what I can suggest. So we have a website and it's called multifamilyu.com. That's multifamilyu.com. And on this website, we have a course. Uh, there's a number of webinars there, but there's a webinar that basically just talks about the five location magic metrics that you can use. Nothing has changed in terms of market selections when it comes to those five metrics that are in this course. And the course is free, by the way, there's no subscriptions, there's no future app, there's no pro version. I don't believe in any of that nonsense, right? So it's, it's just free, use it, give it away, use it in any way that you feel like it. It, it. It's not even licensed. So, you know, you can call it the Donis Brothers location <laughs> magic and use it, I don't give a damn. It, it's meant to be given away. So bottom line is that when you take that system and you use it today, it comes up with the same list of cities. So nothing has changed when it comes to market selection compared to last year. Um, the only caution that I would have is there were cities that were extremely, extremely bullish over the last 18 months. Those cities you should avoid for the moment if you're investing. And I'll tell you what those are. I think some of them would be very obvious. So um, Austin, Boise, um, um, uh, Phoenix, 
are definitely three big ones, Tampa as well. Uh, these are cities that have been kind of doing explosively well. Denver is, is another one that I would like to add to the list. So the cities that were ultra hot in the last 18 months are the most likely to see price declines from both from a single family and multifamily perspective. So stay away from the ultra hot cities. I generally go to the smaller towns. So one example of my success, I used location magic to find a city called uh, Greenville, South Carolina. So this is a city, it's not a very big one. It's not anywhere close to anything, but all the metrics were amazing. Yeah. We bought a property there and the metrics turned out to be so right that our entire rehab budget, we didn't rehab anything because we were getting our post rehab rent bumps we just simply holding on to the property because it was it was the growth was so explosive that the location magic numbers were so insane that we just held on to the property for 20 months and our investors made 60% annualized 60% IRR not 16 60 IRR with us basically doing nothing except location magic and finding that metro so awesome. it works <laughs> i love that and so Finally, I do want to just dive into the climate risk. That's something, something that, uh, of course, has been trending. Climate change has been changing. Whether you believe in it or not, I know uh, you, I mean, you honestly don't even like to take the side in terms of the, the politics of it, um, but it's a factor that a lot of multifamily investors, are, it's going to be hard to ignore in the coming uh, few decades. So if you could expand on why that is something that people should start paying more attention to and maybe how that might impact where you choose to invest. So the, it depends on your, your timeline. My advice to people is if your investing timeline is three to five years, it's okay to ignore climate change with a few, with a few exceptions, and I'll give you those exceptions today. Um, the, uh, if you're investing for the 10-year term, you really need to pay an incredible amounts of focus on climate change and how it affects certain cities more than others. I'm not sure that there is a political debate that the climate is changing. All of the pl political debate, left versus right, is are we causing the climate to change, right? Is it what we are doing that's causing it to change? So I don't think either side actually uh, talks about that. I mean, it's kind of silly to say that when we have you know, uh, insurance costs you know, from hurricanes are up 3X or 4X, right? right? So the climate is changing. Maybe it just changes by itself, who knows? But there's an impact and it's going to affect your profitability regardless of whether you believe that you know, uh, burning carbon, you know, carbon is causing it or not. So I, I stay on the impact side. I don't really worry about whether we're causing it or not because I'm not a politician. Who cares, right? Nobody, nobody cares about what I think. Right. So the impact is outsized in the 10-year timeframe because of something known as ESG. So ESG protocol is a set of uh, metrics for measuring how well companies are doing when supporting the environment. All of the big fund managers in the United States once again, all of the big fund managers in the United States, the people that manage billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions, and even trillions, there are a few of those like BlackRock, mm -hmm. have adopted ESG. What that means is when they make investments into anything, real estate, technology, anything, buying companies, they look at the ESG metrics of those companies. Therefore, it really doesn't matter if climate change is man-made man or not. Every company that matters that makes investments has already made that assumption right or wrong they've made that assumption so places that get lower and lower esg scores over the next 10 years will become harder and harder to find buyers so i think that the coast of florida especially on the miami side is is one such place that 
you know, is, is going to be really, really, really affected. Um, and uh, Phoenix, because Phoenix is going to run out of water in about 10 or nine or 10 years, and that's going to have a significant impact on the growth of Phoenix. Um, so there's a few places like that. And, and it, there's, there's a bunch of places where you can go to. Moody's has a group called 427. So just Google Moody's 427. Their website has amazing amounts of information on which cities are more risky than others. Check in, look into that because this stuff matters. Once again, a three-year time frame, you may not see significant challenges. In a 10-year time frame, you will not see challenges on the buy. But when you're looking to exit in the 10th year, you'll see massive, ridiculous challenges. You know, all of your profit that you've made in five years of holding could get wiped out simply because the city that you're choosing to, to invest in has a low CSG, ESG rating. Yeah. I remember during your webinar, you kind of talked about how it was one of the YouTube videos you did. You talked about how uh, investors or sponsors will actually start potentially incorporating that in their investor decks as how, uh, what kind of climate risk analysis they're doing to um, kind of just, just understand what the impact of the climate that might impact the property. And um, of course, insurance is a big cost. And so if a hurricane comes in, that can have major consequences. You've seen, you've seen what's happening in Florida, exactly. right? I mean, insurance yeah. costs are up in you know 3X, 5X, 7X in certain metros. So- the insurance companies are competing in a perfect market. They make three to 4% margin, right? So there's no insurance company that makes the kind of margins that Apple makes. Everybody makes a few percent in margins. So because you're in a perfect margin, you have to come up with the lowest acceptable price. So if their price is up three to five X, the destruction from these events must be up three to five X. It's hard to ignore that. Right. And would you say that uh, I think you might've already touched on this, but um, can, if you can clarify, would you say, if, like, for example, if Apple is, if Apple, a company like Apple is using the climate risk to determine if they move into a market, then that can also impact the growth of the market itself because a lot of aren't going to be coming. Is that right? Very so much so. Absolutely. So companies like Apple have incredible pressure mm. to make sure that everything that they do and everything that they buy has a high ESG rating. And for the moment, the ESG rating, the only part that everyone, anyone cares about is the E, which is environmental. And so the, for right reasons or wrong reasons, it is clear that at this point, every major investor in the United States is worried about how they are going to be seen as being environmentally friendly or not. And they're making decisions based on that. It'll take about 10 years for that to hit a peak. And so you have to worry about that if you're doing a 10-year investment. Yeah, and not to go too off topic, but I assume that's why a lot of companies that uh, are going in more of like the, I guess, non-natural resources like uh, oil and fossil fuels, things like that, they're be struggling to raise more capital and they're not getting as many people to invest in it because of the same reason that it's- That's exactly right. I mean, right now we should be investing in oil. I mean, see what's right. happening in Russia. Right. Mm -hmm. right. I think it's a very good idea to be investing in oil right now, but oil investment is at an all-time low, not mm. because we don't need oil. Well, it's obvious yeah, yeah. that we're addicted to oil, but because no one wants to be seen as investing in oil. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it is almost time for our speed round, but I don't know if you know this. We're in Durham, North Carolina, and I know you always talk about North Carolina and Raleigh and Durham. And so well, I have a I property in Durham that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Right? So check it out. It's uh, novartp.com, N O V A R T P.com. Oh, man. Awesome. That's like 10, not even 10 minutes from where <laughs> we live. I, I just love to know. I mean, what is your opinion on the North Carolina market? Why do you love it? And um, yeah, what, what, what potential do you see happening here? 
North Carolina has one of the highest potentials of states in the United States. So I counted sort of in the big three, Texas, Florida, and North Carolina are my big three with Georgia, Georgia and Utah sort of coming in in position four or five. A lot of different reasons, geographic location. Um, so it's kind of the bridge that connects the old uh, you know, money, which obviously is north of it, and the smile, which essentially starts in North Carolina and goes down through Texas and Georgia and Florida. So it, it is a connection mechanism. The weather is pretty decent, a um, lot of flat land. There's just a lot of benefits that North Carolina has in, in um, a regulatory environment is pretty good, pretty strong. Um, so it's a red state. Uh, right now is a good time for red states to be growing. Most red states are growing faster now than, than blue states are because of regulation or, or lack of regu regulation. So I, I think North Carolina for the next 10 or 15 years is going to be an absolutely amazing uh, place. I often tell people that in, in most states, I like one city or two. North Carolina is an exception that I like just about everything I see. That's awesome. awesome. I love to hear it. Well, Neil, it is time for our speed round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Awesome. Well, looking back on your entire journey in real estate and business, what would you say has been the number one failure or learning lesson that you've encountered along the way? And what did you learn from that experience? I bought a property in Chicago based on the future promise of that property. It had incredible future potential. That was a huge mistake. I'll never buy anything again uh, that has only strong future potential. I have to look at what it is today and everything else has to be an icing on a cake, right? So I felt very good about the future potential of that property. Eventually that potential was realized, but far beyond my hold of the property. Yeah, I know. I've heard in the past, you mentioned, um, I think somebody asked you what the number one thing um, factor that contributed to your success. And I think you said it wasn't the like property management or anything like that. It was buying right. If you want to mm -hmm. expand on that, you can, but if not, then yeah, no. Well, I think the, the, everything that we do with Location Magic is, you know, a lot of those have come out of the, the, the pain of that particular property and, and the sleepless nights that I went through. So it's really about buying right. It's absolutely critical, critical, critical that you buy right um, and, and spend the time and effort on figuring out where you want to buy. Because otherwise, you're going to be spending a great deal of wasted time and wasted effort on trying to right the ship. Amazing. Uh, what is the b best business book that you've ever read or just book for the, in regards to life um, that has had the biggest that, impact on you? That one's really easy. So The Miracle Morning is, in my mind, the most important book in the world. I don't think it's the best book in the world for business mm -hmm. or for life. Important, why? Because The Miracle Morning, even if you do it for six months, just six straight months, it will allow you to find your best book because everyone's best book is different. Your best book for business, your best book for life is not going to be the miracle morning, but the miracle morning is the catalyst mm -hmm. for finding it. So I suggest that everyone read it and everyone try it for at least six months. It, it's remarkable what can be done. Yeah, awesome. And you shared a ton of wisdom today, Neil. We really appreciate it. If there was one piece of advice that you'd want someone to walk away with from today's episode, what would that be? Um, don't trust your gut. There's just so much mistrusting of gut and so many disasters that come from you thinking that your gut knows better. Your gut is simply a piece of your body. It knows diddly squat. Awesome. Well, if anyone in our audience wants to learn more about you, Neil, or just follow you on your journey or get access to the plethora of resources that you offer, where can they go to do that? 
The, the simplest way is multifamilyu.com. So you just type in the word multifamily followed by the letter u.com. We have uh, 20 plus webinars there a year. Over 20,000 people attend those webinars. Um, you know, the Location Magic course is stored there. Also, um, simply Google my name, Neil Space, N-E-A-L Space Bawa, and hit enter. You'll see about 150 podcasts. You'll see uh, appearances at conferences. Uh, you'll see people bashing me, which is always very fun to read. Um, so uh, ch yeah, check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Neil. It was a real pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, thank you for having Thanks me. Thanks so much. Thank you guys thank for you. tuning in. I hope you guys all have a great rest of your day. Let's get out there and take action.